The players are in the New York bubble and the Cincinnati slash New York Open has started. And a few scares for the top men's seeds while the top two women's seeds are out. Sophia Kennan and Karolina Pliskova are both done in the pre-US Open tournament there at the Billie Jean King Tennis Centre. Plenty of results to get through today. We've got a lot of tennis to talk about. A lot of news. Luke Saville is going to join us from the bubble. But first things first... Val Vebo here with you. Joel Frucci with me on the other line. Joel, we made national news during the week. That's the biggest thing to take from the past week. <laughs> yeah, we did. That was pretty cool. I was uh, the other night on Sunday. I was just frying off some uh, some nice uh, honey soy chicken thigh, and then um, yeah, heard uh, in a story about uh, Mr. Todd Woodbridge that uh, there was uh, yeah, in a recent podcast there was some uh, words spoken about him by Mark Woodford, which was of course that big feature interview. From yourself, Al, and um, sure enough, Bob's your uncle. We're, we're there on on TV, Breakpoint Podcast on the screen. So that was uh, that was quite the surprise, and um, certainly made uh, made that beautiful chicken cook by myself taste uh, even better. Got to say, but um, it was great. I certainly wasn't expecting it. No, definitely not. That was um, that was unbelievable. I think I jumped through the roof. Like, uh, yeah, I was at my uh, my girlfriend Rachel's place and got a text from you and a call from mum and dad, and they're both like, Breakpoint just got attributed on uh, on nine news and i was like hang on hang on what so yeah i've, I've mm. subsequently had the audio and video sent to me saw it on twitter and um yeah there you go it was about um a, yeah todd woodbridge winning some sort of archibald or someone painted todd for an archibald prize and then tony jones the good journo that he is um asked about the interview with woodford and what woodford said so um, yeah, no, that was that was a big win. I, I don't think either of us expected that, but yeah, no, I um, if you ask Rach, I went absolutely red, started shaking, almost jumped through the roof, through the window. Um, was going to do a <laughs> celebratory lap of the street, but it was almost curfew and probably not essential to be out of the house. So, as per lockdown rules, but um, no, it was yeah, no, we're absolutely stoked. So well done, well done to us. Bit of self pump up to start the show, but. Let's get into the results, Joel. And it's been um, it's been a big week already in Cincinnati. A lot of rust shown by the top players. And, um, well, uh, Carolina Pliskova falling to Veronica Kudamatova and Aliza Cornet, uh, who actually engaged with us on Twitter last week, sending a couple of uh, yeah. laughing emojis our way, um, got the better of number two seed in Australian Open champion Sophia Kennan. So big wins there, Joel. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I actually got to catch a bit of that match uh, between Elisa Cornet and, and Sophia Kennan. And uh, funnily enough, uh, it was a bit actually it was a bit the same as um, uh, watching Andy Murray versus Alex Verev uh, this morning, Tuesday morning. Uh, as soon as I turned it on, um, uh, Elisa Cornet seemed to turn it off. Actually, um, <laughs> she basically stopped in her tracks, and uh, Sophia Kennan uh, went on an almighty run. I think she won four games in a row um, to force that into a tiebreaker. Um, yeah, Lisa Cornet really, uh, really had her measure to that point. Um, but look, it was just a typical Cornet performance, I think, that undid Sophia Cannon. She was quite rusty. It was her first yes. first match, competitive match since since March. But what Lisa Cornet did well was just the basics of her game, just track down every ball. Um, and look, in the end, she deserved the performance. Uh, sorry, deserved the win. Um, you know, it was great performance by her. Uh, for the most part, it would have been sort of rather unjust if she had a, had a lost in the end. Um, but yeah, well, geez, we've missed the WTA, haven't we? Yeah. Um, the, the the top two seeds uh, going down, and um, of course, uh, as as we speak at the moment, Bell, it looks like something similar could happen 
on the ATP as well. Maybe not necessarily with Novak, but certainly uh, Dominic Team is uh, struggling a bit at the moment as we record against uh, Philip Kranovich trailing yeah. two six one four. So uh, yep. not looking good for Dominic. Yeah. How about the um <laughs> the, the plastic bags over the microphones oh. on the umpire's chair, Joel? Oh, I've just seen it again, and it is so funny to look at it. It just looks like something out of something out of a two dollar shop. Um, it's... I know. Well, look, I'm I'm no doctor, Val, but I I would have thought that having the, the actual plastic bags over the microphone would do um, would actually be counterproductive for an infection control because I don't think anyone's actually going to touch the actual microphone. Yeah, but I think the so, um, the the plastic bags would be changed before every match. Of course, yeah. yeah. But I don't think what, what I'm saying is I don't think any of the umpires will actually touch the microphone itself. Yeah, but the like when you when you look at the microphone. It doesn't matter. Stuff comes out of your mouth whether you like it or not. So, you know, they may have to adjust it. They're still sitting pretty close to the microphone. So any sort of risk prevention, I guess, kind of has to be there. It's a pretty thin layer of, of plastic. But, um, yeah, moving on anyways, that was very <laughs> off topic. I just saw it and was like, ooh. Um, but, yeah, uh, Serena Williams as well this back. morning. Uh, her longest match in eight years getting over Alexandra Rus. Um, seven six three six seven six and seven love in that final set tiebreaker. Uh, two hours forty eight minutes and forty five seconds there for Serena's win. So, um, I didn't think she'd be able to get through a match that long if it did go if it did go to that length. But um, she's through to the third round of the Cincinnati Open. Johanna Conta also through. Petra Kvitova out losing to Marie Buskova six, uh, two six seven five six two. So big win for Buskova. There, Naomi Osaka also through Elise Mertens as well. Conta, Maria Sakari, and Victoria Azarenka with a big win over Caroline Garcia. So um, a lot of the main women's seeds are through, and a lot of the dangerous floaters have got through as well. On the men's side of the draw, Joel, um, it's been a, there's been a few fluctuating results. And the one that I was really, really surprised with was um, Denis Shapovalov destroying Marin Cilic, 6-3, 6-3, and some of the most mm. scintillating tennis that's, um, that I've seen in a long time. And then belted by Jan Lennart Struff this morning. Yeah. Well, well not belted, you know, three I sets. Thinking, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because I was thinking about this this morning when I when I saw the result that, um, you know, I, I was thinking we were going to be talking about Denis Shapovalov, uh, you know, in the sense that I, I thought he was the most, most impressive performer on the men's side. Um, in the early uh, parts of, of Cincinnati, some of the some of the shots he was hitting against Marin Cilic were almost Rafael Nadal like. They mm. were absolutely sensational, and um, I think as well, uh, you know, regardless of, of the fact that he's lost, I think I think Dennis is a player that um, on the other side of the restart, certainly going into next year, he's a player that I really want to see make that breakthrough. Yeah, we've kind of just been waiting for him to to do that, but he hasn't really been able to do it yet. So I think. I think he's almost he's almost next in line. I mean, we've we've we spoke about a guy like Alex Verov a lot, a young young talented player that was kind of just on the on the precipice, really looking to make that breakthrough. Yeah. Um, we think potentially he may have you know taken a big stride towards doing that by making the Australian Open semi final. Um, obviously, Denis Shapovalov isn't quite in that same mold, but I, I don't think he's far behind. He's obviously got a huge amount of talent, so mm. um, he's he's probably the, the next one that I'm really, really looking to make that that breakthrough. But yeah, not a great loss for him against um, against Jan Leonard, who, to his credit, um, has beaten a couple of pretty big players and has won matches that 
probably wouldn't have expected him to. Certainly no. not against Denis Shapovalov, and also not against Alex Demonar. He's a he's a player that I would have expected Demon to, you know, sort of have his way with because um, obviously Demon is a guy that moves around the court. He's got he's got great court coverage, whereas Jan Leonard is sort of a, you know, a bit of a, a bigger guy who yeah. isn't you know as athletic. I would say certainly not to take anything away from him, but um, you know, I yeah certainly think um certainly think Alex would have been would have been disappointed uh, with that loss. Yeah, 100%. And Demonor had beaten him twice before. Once was last year in Miami, and that was a uh, third-set tiebreak. So they'd gone close um, once before, and then in Basel last year, Demonor won that in straight sets. Breaking news, Philip Kronjevic has destroyed Dominic Team 6-2, 6-1 in an hour and one minute. So that's um, an unbelievable result from Kronjevic, who can play on his day, and that is that is Dominic Team Australian Open finalist. Uh, not a good morning for the Adria Tour boys, is it? Uh, Grigor Dimitrov has level. Uh, I think he's got through, has he? Against um, no, they're still playing. Um, Dimitrov and quite, yeah, no, they yeah. are no one all in the third. Um, Fusevich and Dimitrov, and yeah, the uh, Novak Djokovic is in a first set tiebreaker against Ricardas Barankas and Alexander Zverev out. Andy Murray is back. Yeah, that was a that was vintage from, from yeah. Andy Murray. Um, just everything that we love about Andy Murray's style of tennis was on show. Yeah, against agree. Alex Verev, he was just running and getting every single ball. Um, to Alex Verev's credit, he did fight back in that in that third set, and at a point, it actually looked like he was just going to steamroll over Andy because he really had the ascendancy um, late in that set. But then, as we have become used to Val. Alex's serve just deserted him when he really needed it. Yep. And um, there was one service game late in that set where uh, yeah, it was pretty tight. I think it, I think it got to juice. Yeah, it was um, when Murray broke and, to go to serve for it. Yeah, yeah. And I don't I don't quite know what Alex was thinking. Maybe he was he was clearly trying to be aggressive, but I just wonder if it was almost irresponsibly aggressive because a couple of those second serves he just fell to the cover off it. I mean, it was mm. just. Oh, it was. It, I mean, it's not. Uh, it's, it's like something Curios would do. Yeah, well, that, that's what the commentary team said that it was a sort of a Nick Curios type move, which isn't isn't a bad thing. It's just probably you know maybe not what not conventionally what what you would do in in that moment. And I think certainly the fact that that Alex actually had the momentum, he probably didn't need to do it. I think it would have been more justifiable if he. You know, if he had started to, if he was losing a grip on that match, but he had all the momentum. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not really sure why why he did that, um, because I think certainly he's got much more power than than Andy Murray does, um, and and we saw that. It was just the fact that a lot of the time Andy just out rallied him and um, really just was better than him in the des- in the desperation stakes almost. Yeah, and exactly right. Murray Murray did rally so well, and and he was a bit shaky, especially in that third set. He was up a break and won the match six three three six seven five, and um, Zverev actually served the match at five four, and couldn't hold on. Didn't have a match point. Murray broke back, um, got it. Uh, Zverev got it to juice, but um, yeah, Murray ended up breaking back uh, com- kind of convincingly, and um, from then on didn't look back. And yeah, it was it was a brilliant performance from Andy, and he was hitting the ball really cleanly and seemed. Seemed as though the players look like they're hitting it a lot harder than what they did um, at the start of the season, and yeah, it's, they're looking. The tennis is looking pretty good, but I, I think, um, yeah, I, I imagine Andy Murray comes back and does well at the U.S. Open. I think it'd be one of the one of the best stories 
of 2020, of a, of a pretty dismal 2020 to see Andy Murray mm. come back and have a good finish to the year and get himself back inside the top 50 or maybe even, depending on how he goes, possibly even top 20 where he belongs. Yeah, and um, look, you know what, Val? The way he's going, I wouldn't really be surprised. I think certainly it's a bit more of an even playing field given all that's happened um, yep. with, um, with, the, with the shutdown in tennis. Certainly, uh, you know, it, it makes it even more important that a guy like Andy Murray is is fighting his way through Cincinnati because, um, you know, match, match practice really is, is more important than ever um, at the moment. And to be honest, his next match is against Milos Raonic, and they're two yeah, guys well. that um, have have quite a bit of history. Obviously, they've they've played each other in some some very very big matches, Wimbledon finals and the like. Um, given the way that that Milos Raonic plays, obviously the serve is a massive component to his game, but the fact that Andy Murray is such a good returner, I think he's a massive, massive chance of, of winning this match. And I'm actually, I'm actually, I'd actually be picking him. I think he's going to win. Oh, so do I. I reckon he, I reckon he's got it. Um, yeah, the draw kind of opens up for him. Teams out now, so I think things look re- things are starting to look really good for Andy Murray. Um, no crowds, Joel. I've found it really, really mm. strange. The ultimate tennis showdown was really good with the ult- with the artificial crowd noise that they used um and I, I think they they did a really good job of it but no crowd noise for the Cincinnati Open do you reckon it should be introduced because it does that Murray's Verev match went so deep and imagine how uh, how electric the crowd would have been in a situation like that mm. so is there is this an argument to say all right look we probably should added a little bit of artificial noise here just to liven up the atmosphere a little bit because it did lack. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think, uh, look, I think it would make for a better viewing spectacle. Um, you know, obviously it's, it's not going to make too much of a difference for, for the players, but I think certainly in terms of viewing, um, it really does help even watching, um, I watched a bit of, uh, a bit of the top seat open, um, in, in Lexington last week, and it, it, did, it did kind of feel lacking a little bit without the crowd noise. Um, and even even watching some of the ma- matches um, at, at Cincinnati so far, um, watching Andy Murray um, and uh, Elise Cornet, there were sort of just moments in that match where you kind of just wish you had, um, I guess, a little bit of artificial atmosphere almost. Yeah. Yeah. Because those two players really um, on court, they can be characters. Um, and well, I guess you, you, you do sort of want some you know, some noise, some atmosphere to kind of complement that. So, yeah, look, I'm all, I'm all in favour of it. And, um, you know, certainly in other sports, it, it has worked, fake crowd noise. And the one I really look at is um, is, is what uh, the broadcasters did in the in the the, uh, the UEFA Champions League, in the, the round robin with the, the quarterfinals up to the final. I, I thought the crowd noise, uh, the artificial crowd noise, uh, was absolutely exceptional. It was, it really synced up well with the actual play. So, um, you know, if, and obviously... Uh, that is a sport where you want a lot of noise yeah. um, to, to make it a, a real spectacle. So, you know, if, if UEFA and their broadcasters, uh, their, their broadcast partners can do that, then I certainly think that tennis can do it as well. Yeah, I think so. And tennis, you'd think, would be a lot more simple to do it. 
than uh, than with soccer. So fingers crossed they can sort it out, and I reckon they'll they'll try for the U.S. Open. But just um, another quick run through of results: Tennis Sandgren, one of our play, uh, favorite players, over Felix Auger alias Sim seven six in the third. Daniil Medvedev through um, over Marcos Chiron wearing a cap. I don't think I've ever seen Med- Medvedev wearing a cap, so that was um, no. that was my take. Uh, Karen Khashenov through Roberto Batista Agu through. <laughs> That sounded like there was a problem with the computer there, Joel. You're right. Not the Rona. Um, Berrettini through Riley Opelka over Diego Schwartzman. John Isner um, winning a heartbreaker over John Milman. We were both upset about that result. 4 6 7 6 7 6. Uh, Milos Raonic also through as well. He'll play Andy Murray next. But just some other news from the New York bubble, Joel. Hugo Delian and Guido Payer were forced out of this tournament in uh, or Cincinnati slash New York because their coach tested positive for coronavirus. So the players didn't room, or sorry, it was the physio. Um, players didn't room with the physio and have both tested negative. They've been tested every day. Um, and the uh, there was almost a with, uh, forced withdrawal from the players who said, come on, guys, this is unfair. They haven't been into close contact with him. Um, why are we doing this? I guess I kind of agree with the USTA and what they're doing. They're trying to prevent any sort of uh, remnants of COVID-19 from getting out into the into the tennis public in that bubble. So I'm not sure that I disagree with what they've done. But uh, Paya has made a statement on his Instagram story this morning and made it in Spanish, but um, I've got the translation in an article yeah. here. And he called it a serious error, and he said last night, uh, we had no information from the tournament or the ATP. I gave my fifth negative result um, of COVID-19, as did Hugo Delian and Jose Akasuso, their coach, um, and nobody tells us anything. I don't know what will happen this time, who will take charge and what solution they will give us um, from the tournament. One is negative and apparently never had the virus. And unless the um, US, the decision is changed, Payer and Delian will miss the US Open, which starts on August 29. And he says, I don't know what will happen, but there was a very serious error on the part of someone. I hope they can give me uh, give me pertinent explanations because what I went through this week was very difficult. So that's a concern in itself. The fact that apparently he never had the virus. Oh, I'm, I'm a little bit... Uh, that That's what I'm confused with. Um, you know, the fact that he's the physio and... They've said, okay, we're gonna keep you, we're gonna keep you locked away for a little bit. Um, probably not the worst idea, considering what's been happening around the world. But then the fact that he's never had the virus, he's tested negative. Delian and Payer have both tested five times and are both negative. Shouldn't that count for something mm. at least to the point where they don't have to sit out the U.S. Open? Because that's unfair. They've made the trip and at their own peril, they've made the trip up yeah. to to the USA. And now all of a sudden they're being told, oh, hang on, hang on, you might not be able to play. Yeah, it's look, it's a it's a strange one, and I think it sounds it sounds a lot like their their physio valve uh, has kind of fallen uh, victim of this phenomena called uh, a false positive, um, which we've seen um, we've seen a little bit certainly in uh, uh, here at home in, in the AFL we've we've seen that happen, um, but it really. It really, from what we know about false positives, it really does have the making of a false positive in that um, the the physio has tested positive and sort of a week or less than a week later has has returned a negative test, which, um, you know, for what we know about 
COVID-19. And we're not doctors by any means, but what we do know about it um, doesn't really sound uh, feasible because it has kind of that two-week turnaround. Um, and, of course, we've seen uh, Kane Shakuri test positive a second time. Um, so he definitely has it because he's tested tw- yep. positive twice within the week. Yeah. Um, and he's out. Oh, look, he can't actual, play the US Open now. No, no, definitely not. I think he's I think he's a cook goose. But, yep. um, you know, in, in terms of the actual decision itself, um, it's – look, I can understand the USTA erring on the side of caution, but what I have a, an issue with is, firstly, as you said, these guys have – Traveled to the US, um, you know, out, out of their own pocket, and you know, with um, risks to their own health in mind, so they've taken that risk. Um, but you know, also the fact that from from what we've read, the players all agreed to a waiver whereby they would be forcibly withdrawn uh, from Cincinnati, and then we understand the US Open as well. If if um, uh, if if they had roomed with a positive test yeah. and been deemed a close contact, so I think I think the devil is in the detail with this one. Um, and from what we understand versus what the players agree to, uh, it, it it seems as though that has not happened. Yeah. So I think it's it's unfair in in that sense, and I can see why they've got a bit of a bee in the bonnet. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I yeah. It's I mean, it's, it's, it's really a difficult situation. Yeah. It, yeah, it's it's it is. It's something that this is so unprecedented, and I guess it's kind of a learn as you go type type notion. But yeah, it is disappointing because the Paya and Delian they weren't rooming with their physio. But the problem is, when was the last time they came into close contact? Is a physio is going to be touching you? Yeah, um, and, so, and, and it also it also um, for for me it says a lot. I think. Um, you know, if 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 they're going to withdraw players anyway, then I, I don't really see the point of having all these agreements and you know um, you know dialogue with the players about these sort of technicalities. It's like, well, you know, if, if if players are going to be forcibly withdrawn regardless, then you know it needs to be made clear. I think the players deserve that transparency. Yep, um, I I agree a hundred percent, and they do deserve that transparency. So. Fingers crossed we can get to the bottom of it by next week and that Paya and Delian can both be playing in the US Open. But, um, yeah, I reckon there's a lot of water to go under the bridge before that does happen. But, um, Joel, should we get to our special guest, Luke Sabble, from the New York bubble? Yeah, let's uh, let's get into the bubble. And our guest joins us from the New York bubble. This is, uh, this is unprecedented times here in 2020. We're looking at uh, two tournaments played... Uh, in the same venue uh, in two separate weeks, and it's pretty unbelievable. But Luke Savile, we we loved him that much a month ago, Joel, that we had to get him on again a month later, <laughs> and uh, he was that good. So, Luke, thank you so much for joining us from New York. And uh, first things first, I guess, how, how are you going over there? Yeah, thanks for having me, boys. It's, um, it's definitely interesting times over here. Um, yeah, obviously, our doubles match a couple of days ago didn't quite go to plan. Um, we went down and... A couple sets there and um, just sort of, uh, you know, since then try to digest the, the match a little bit and, and sort of see where it, I guess it went wrong for us a little bit. Um, but, you know, been trying to get a fair bit of court time and, um, you know, obviously we've got a couple of eyes on the, the US Open next week. So we've got a bit over a week to uh, fine tune there and um, and go forward from there. But, uh yeah, it's, it's, it's been interesting in the bubble over here. Obviously, we can't move around a whole lot and um, and do a whole lot of recreational stuff. Um, usually, 
were able to sort of stay in Manhattan and look around and, and sort of be in the big smoke and whatnot and have a fair bit of fun. But um, obviously with COVID and whatnot, it's um, some unprecedented times for sure. And um, But, you know, when I'm, when I'm playing and, and training, it's sort of, um, I, I'm usually sort of like hotel, hotel courts kind of guy, you know, I don't try and get up to a whole lot of, of other activities and, um, and that's basically all we're doing. Um, but yeah, the U- USCA and, um, the US Open, they're doing a, a fantastic job, um, uh, to keep everyone safe and putting a lot of protocols in, in, in place and, and whatnot. And so it's, um, it's been fine so far apart from, from the match. And yeah, that match, of course, with Max Purcell, unfortunately falling to John Isner and Hubert Hercash. But uh, Luke, what precautions have the ATP and the USCA made throughout this uh, through this bubble? And what exactly can you and what can't you do? Because it's kind of it's so weird looking from afar and seeing all these players just crowded into one hotel. Yeah, so when we arrived here, we got tested um, as soon as we walked into the hotel and. Then we were told to isolate in our hotel for um, for a minimum of 24 hours, and then the results would come back. And um, you know, thankfully, I was negative. So then, from there, you're able to move around, and then obviously go to the courts and start training. And and then there was a second test 48 hours later, and then another one. So I've been tested three times since I've been here. So it's uh, a yeah, there's a big testing room down in the lobby um there's there's always sort of doctors waiting there for you just to walk in and you know there's never any lines or anything so they're all you know they're very organized here and um in the morning you'll go down and uh you know obviously with your iphone you'll um sort of put your camera over and a link will come up with the questionnaire for the day and um you'll complete that and obviously um, say you've got no symptoms and, and all that sort of stuff and then you'll show that to the the bus people um, just to say you're all good to go to the courts they'll swipe you you'll go on the bus and go to the tennis and then it's just mandatory mass all the time unless you're on court um, the cafe is only set up with tables of two and you order all your food um, on your phone so same sort of thing you'll yeah. you'll put your camera over the menu a menu will come up and you order it online and they'll, they'll bring it up. Um, and sort of only 30 people in the locker room at one time and you've got to take your bags in and out. You can't really leave your bags in there. So that's kind of a small inconvenience as well, having to take your bags around all day, really. Um, I carry around a couple of bags and um, a big uh, bag of balls as well because I'm not handing out big um, boxes of balls, you know, because... I guess, you know, you can, um, you know, with the germs on, on balls and whatnot, they don't you sort of want to keep the balls to yourself. So all this little stuff and um, like I said, they're doing a good job. A lot of the players are sort of questioning sort of what is the point of a bubble if they're sort of doing all these um, protocols, if you like. And I guess it's just to be super safe, you yeah. know, with the mask and everything and just, in, you know, if someone gets tested and they're at the court and they're, all of a sudden, like you know, comes back positive, then um, I guess they've had a mask on and they've you know social distance. So hopefully, sort of the contact tracing isn't too much of a hard time for them. Yeah, no, that sounds great, Luke. And I guess just reading from uh, you know from social media and what some of the players have have put out. I know John Millman tweeted something when he got there, and um, further abroad, I think uh, was Kirsten Flipkins tweeted something yeah. as well, and. Um, in, in both of those cases, the endorsements were sort of quite ringing in, 
uh, in what the USTA have been doing. So obviously there's been a lot of talk from afar, certainly about what should happen with the US Open and, and whether it should even be going ahead. But it, I guess the main thing is that the players are happy and it, it sounds like for the most part, the players are happy. Yeah, I think so. It's um, we, we do question whether it should be on. There's no doubt about that. Um, and it's just incredibly, it's incredibly strange walking around with no crowds um, at Flushing Meadows there. Usually yeah. it's, so you can't, can't really walk through the, you know, outside the Arthrash Stadium there, but now it's completely dead and, um, you know, only obviously players and support staff are allowed in the grounds and, and whatnot. I, I'm pretty pumped just to be back sort of playing and, and, and travelling again. Um, obviously, coming back to Australia is going to be a whole other sort of um, dimension as well, another challenge, but it's, um, you know, I think sort of for the early, for the first few months, the tour especially, it's going to be, definitely not ideal a lot of the restrictions and um you know i think the challenges are sort of still finding their way as well obviously just because there's not as much um i guess support staff and and people sort of um you know i guess the budget as well you know, obviously slams they can have numerous amount of people testing and whatnot so the challenges are definitely um going to be difficult for the remainder of this year but it's um yeah look they've done a good job and um I think a lot of the players is happy to be back playing um even though there's a, you know, a lot of protocols and rules in place that we have to abide by. Even though yourself and Max did lose that match against Isner and, and Herkash, um it must have been great to sort of get the I guess get the cobwebs out in in many respects and just looking through the doubles draw as well. Um I know we were chatting about this off air before, but there there seems to be a lot of. Uh, sort of combinations in, in the draw that you wouldn't normally uh, kind of think about. And I know um, we were talking about Isner and, and Urkash, as I said, just off air, and you were, you were explaining the, the link between the two. But, like, I sort of look at some of the other pairings, like um, Daniel Evans and David Goffan. Um, you know, there's some other ones there, like uh, Alex Diminar and Pablo Cardinal Busta. Like, there is Casper uh, Ruud and Christian Garin. Like, there is some sort of unusual combinations alongside the, the kind of usual ones that you see on the tour, but um, I mean, like, how are, do you have any sort of insight as to how um, the players are kind of pairing themselves up? Like, is is there any, excuse me, is there any sort of, I guess, process that the players are going through to kind of, um, I guess, identify a partner they can play with? Um, yeah, I'm not too sure. I think a lot of those singles guys, they, a lot of the singles guys obviously communicate and are all pretty decent friends. Um, you know, obviously, um, you know, Alex and um, Pablo Crenia Buster, the, you know, Alex lives in Spain, so I'm sure there's that connection there. And like I explained to you guys off air before, um, her catch and Isner, her catch now has an American coach who I think may have worked with Isner in the past. So you find out a little few things like that. And it's quite common to have a lot of singles guys entering the doubles after a bit of a break as well in their first tournament back. Um, I guess they just like getting a match under their belt before they play the singles and, and whatnot. So that's kind of what you've seen here. And you see it a fair bit with kind of Indian Wells usually as well. There's usually sort of a month break after the Aussie Open and a lot of singles guys enter. So, um, you know, it's a few unusual pairs. We didn't really know anything about those two guys that we played and um, weren't able to execute our game plan when we went out there, unfortunately. Um, next week at the US Open, um, Interestingly enough, it's only doubles rankings um, that they've accepted. So a lot of these singles guys won't be in the draw. It's only, it's only doubles. And I guess that's just to give more of a double specialist more of an opportunity next week, which I think is a good initiative. 
will you find that easier yourselves as well? Because will it be easier to sort of seek out footage and sort of how these doubles guys play and you'll be able to adapt your game to try and focus on, on ways that you can actually really sink your teeth into a match and, and get the win? Um, yeah, potentially. I think in general, Max and I probably, we would probably agree that we play better against doubles guys, potentially. Um, haven't thought about it too much, but, you know, it was it was a pretty tough pair we came up against, Isner and Hercatch. You know, that's two really good singles players, so who can both play quite aggressive game styles, can volley. So it was definitely a tough match, um, even though we didn't play anywhere near our level. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think next week if we can bring a good energy and a good level, we've obviously shown we're good enough to play at Grand Slam level. So that's what we're hoping. Um, you know, we'd like to obviously get through our first round and then, um, you know, just take it one match at a time and, and see where it takes us. Um, but, yeah, we've got over a week now to, to get some um, some practice in. We're practicing with Piers and um, Michael Venus tomorrow. So um, there's plenty of Aussies on deck as well. Hit with Jordan Thompson today. So, we really do hang out with each other as much as we can in these sort of circumstances um, and really stick together as well. So there's, there's a good atmosphere here as well. And um, a few of us watched Johnny today as well, Johnny Millman, and went down a really tight one, yeah. but he played well and had a lot of chances. So um, it's nice when a lot of Aussies can stick together on tour as well. It must be nice. Just to, Does it give you that sort of comfort feeling when you're away from home for so long and you've at least just got those familiar faces there? And especially now, it'd be so weird after being home for so long and now you're sort of thrust into an even weirder environment. Um, it, it would it would help to have those friends around more than ever, wouldn't it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's at the best of times when the tour is normal, it's really good to travel with Aussies. But especially right now, you know, we've all been home in our separate states for the past five months. So, you know, just catch up with Tomo, who's a really good mate of mine. You know, he's been in Sydney, I've been in Melbourne, so there's a lot to talk about there. And, um, you know, everyone's really thinking about everyone back home as well and just hoping everyone's safe. And, um, you know, personally, I just hope that situation um, gets better, you know, much, you know, very quickly. And um, But, yeah, just just kind of in general, it's, it's nice to hang out with Aussies. You know, our band is completely different to a lot of, other nations on tour and you know we can talk about the 40 or whatever it might be back home so definitely gives you that sense of normality when you're when you're traveling and obviously we've only been away for a week from home but when you start getting you know two three months into trips it's really nice to hang out with Aussies and I think it's probably the tightest knit of any countries on tour I'd say. You mentioned the the crowds thing before Luke and sort of just moving around the crowds uh, the grounds and there's no one there and uh, Val and I were talking about that um, a bit earlier. We were watching some singles matches this morning and just talking about how strange it is for, for us as uh, as tennis fans, knowing that there's no crowd there and you know there's no noise and, and maybe whether uh, from, um, I guess, a fan experience point of view, um, the, the prospect of artificial crowd noise. But, I mean, what, what, what's it like for you as a player stepping onto the court and and knowing that there's no one in the in the in the stands, and I guess as an extension to that, how do you go about, um, I suppose, compensating for that energy that a crowd can can bring to your game? Yeah, I think the crowd noise is definitely a good um, proposition for sure. Um, you know, watching a lot of the singles, it's it's yeah, it is very dead. But you know, coming from someone that's you know battled through the futures and the challenges where it can be quite dead as well, like it's. I guess somewhat, you know, maybe not so different to, you know, what I've experienced before. And, and 
you know, second to your, your second question, I guess when you said, you know, how do we handle it? You know, I'd probably say fairly poorly. You know, Max and I, we didn't, um, especially with doubles, you've got your partner out there to, you know, really bring the energy up and, and feed off each other. And I felt like we probably didn't do that very well. So that's definitely something I think we need to look into for next week and then even going forward for the rest of the season because we probably won't play in front of crowds at all. So, um, you know, even just watching sort of Johnny today and, you know, he's played in front of thousands of people, you know, just, you know, recently at the Aussie Open or, you know, start of the year against Federer and whatnot. But he's also come through the challenges and it's quite, you know, it's kind of funny with him. I've seen him in the past just sort of uh, pick out someone in the crowd if there's not many people and sort of just really, I guess, like, you know, draw some energy off them as well and, and kind of even if he doesn't know them. So, um I think it's important, especially in doubles, you know, you need to bring a high energy. Um, and, you know, Max and I, you know, usually were very good. And I think we started off okay. But, you know, when I lost my serve at 4-3, I think we sort of dropped our energy a little bit. And probably knowing that, um, you know, isn't serve was to come, that probably didn't help the, the motivation levels and whatnot. So, you know, that's just one thing you can always control, you know, as, as tennis players, we talk about controlling the controllable. So, you know, whether that's your energy or, um, you know, your self-talk or whatever that might be. Um, so I think we can do a better job of that for sure moving forward. That's such great insight. And, yeah, I guess if, if Joel and I both drop serve and isn't a service to come, I think we'd both be feeling <laughs> the exact same way. Don't worry about that. That is... One of the scary facing Isner or Karlovich's serve, I think I'd just get out of the way. But um, uh, just a couple of fun ones before we go. Are there any serial pests lurking around the hotel that um that have been playing jokes on everybody, or everybody's sticking to themselves? Yeah, everyone's yeah, sticking to themselves. I um I had a hit on the golf simulator yesterday, um with a few of the boys and um managed to lose ten bucks and a little little competition there, so. <laughs> Um, but that, that was a bit of fun having a swing there on the golf simulator. They've got a food truck set up, a little bit of um, a little bit of table tennis and those air hockey things as well. Yeah. Um, a bit of an outdoor setting as well, um, you know, with a big big screen with the NBA on and whatnot, and a bit of a beer garden for the for the coaches and whatnot, and some players who have lost. So they're doing a good job here. Um, the, the golf simulator is quite um, yeah, quite a popular little attraction i think this week that's for sure mark polman's would be around the table tennis surely <laughs> i think he might be with his uh with his uh flaps hat I'd yeah say. no he definitely <laughs> wouldn't uh, just before we do let you go have you been watching much of the blues since you've been over there or um i watched i got here and watched the replay of the Fremantle yeah games so that was uh geez that, that was crazy i was actually boarding my flight in Melbourne yeah. when that was on. Oh, and, so you didn't know. No, but I was I was boarding and I was watching the scores and then I all of a sudden got about six messages just saying about this kick and I just could not believe it. <laughs> uh, I got went to New York and watched the replay of that and then we knocked off uh, Gold Coast. They're on a three-day break. So um, a big one against the Pies now. So yeah. I mean, I've been I've been pretty happy with the Blues this year. I mean, I think we've you know handled things pretty well. If if we could make finals, that would be massive for like a group that's obviously haven't played finals for a while. So, 
I'd be I'd be pretty pumped with that. Yep. As um yeah, well, looking at the looking at the run home, it looks pretty good. And as a Richmond fan, I do not want to face Carlton in the finals after what happened seven <laughs> years ago. So let's not think about that. But um, Luke Saville, thank you so much for joining us from the New York bubble. You you're an absolute legend. And fingers crossed, next week uh, with Max Purcell, you can make a real indent on the U.S. Open like you did here in Melbourne at the start of the year. And best of luck and stay safe. Thanks a lot, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Luke Saville joining us there from the New York bubble. Jeez, he, what a ripping guy. And that, it's such great insight into what's actually happening in the bubble. Um, and, and to see all of that or to hear about all that stuff and all the simulators that they've got there. And um, yeah, it, it's it, it's phenomenal. And thank God we, all the reports that we're hearing that the US the USTA are doing a good job. And that, that's exactly what we want to hear, Joel. Yeah, it's good, Val. Um, yeah, very, very honest from, from Luke and, um, yeah, we asked him there, um, and we said it to him, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot, obviously, and we're not the only ones about whether these events should be going ahead. And he was quite forthright in, in saying that, you know what, there's a, there is still a lot of trepidation about, uh, about what's happening with the tour at the moment. And the fact that the reality is it is going to be difficult, um, to push ahead with it and, and make sure it's absolutely foolproof. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, as we've seen, um, from a few players now, um, they seem to be content with how things are going. And yep. that is the main thing. Obviously, there are going to be hiccups, like what we've seen with Guido Paya and uh, Hugo Delian as well. But for the most part, you'd have to say, um, the players seem to be quite happy with how the USTA are running things over there, which is great. Yep, agree. And yeah, it's it's not... And you know what? I, I was very adverse to tennis coming back um, just because of the global... So was I. The, the global travel situation and how everything's been going. But, my God, how good is it to see tennis back, Joel? Yeah. Especially, especially just, just an event yeah. like this, seeing all the big players converge on one event, um, the tours are together, and I think just to see how it's all going has been has been really cool. And, and even, with the no, even with the lack of crowds, I think it's just been nice to actually, you know, we've got the footy back here in Melbourne, which we've had for a couple of months now. And now we've got tennis back, and that's and that's essentially what we want. Everything's sort of starting to. I think this is giving me a sort of indication that things are starting to slowly, slowly, slowly get back to normal, even though it is quite strange at the same time. So, mm. fingers crossed that we can see that there's no hiccups with tennis. But yeah, it's it's been so good to have Cincinnati slash New. York. I keep calling it Cincinnati because I see the Western Southern Open and the hashtags on Twitter, <laughs> but. Kind of, yeah, the ATP's got it as Cincinnati slash New York, so I guess we'll keep calling it that. Yeah, that's what I've been calling it. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, should we get to should we get to Benoit of the Week? We kind of uh, we kind of forgot where we were going there. But yeah, let's get to Benoit of the Week, Joel. <laughs> um big Benoit of the Week, and unfortunately, Benoit had to pull out of Cincinnati slash New York with an illness, and I I hope it's not coronavirus because that would be the worst thing ever. But um, he's out, um, unfortunately, for him. Borna Chorich was up six love, one love there. But, um, Joel, this is a history-making Benoit of the Week. It's for, for many reasons. And um, it, it's a double Benoit. That's all I can say. We have a double Benoit yes. for the first time in history. This is a momentous occasion. Mark it down, 25th of August, 2020, 11.02 a.m. Melbourne time. It is a double Benoit, and uh, I will let you go first with yours, and then I will go with mine because, oh, I'm ready, Joel. I am so ready. 
Uh, yeah, so this was very, very early in the week. In matter of fact, I think it was actually almost, well, actually, no, not, not quite. It was a couple of days after we recorded our last show. Um, but Pat Cash, now, we're, I think we've, We've seen it. We've seen enough firsthand, Val, both in our city and in our sport, being tennis, um, to know that COVID nineteen is real, and we need to take it seriously. Now, Pat Cash during the week has been on Twitter and has shown himself as a COVID nineteen non believer slash conspiracy theorist. So one of the things that he tweeted was interesting stat that uh, I was told today. In the US, 480,000 annually deaths from smoking, COVID deaths on target for 200,000 plus. Hmm, think face. Um, you can't compare smoking and, and COVID-19. I'm sorry, but you just can't. Um, no, and so not only that, but he also he was also essentially uh, endorsing or sharing, um, I think it was a, a documentary about why... COVID-19 is apparently a hoax, which we know it's not. So, um, look, just uh, just those dangerous viewpoints from these people with a lot of influence really are just not, not conducive to getting out of the position that we're in. And what really frightens me especially is that people within tennis, as Pat Cash is, whether he likes it or not, he's still very much within tennis. Um, the world number one has tested positive to coronavirus and – Came out during the week, and we're going to touch on this in a sec, Bill. Um, but he said that he had he had the symptoms, at least my, uh, um, in a mild sense, um, and even even lost um, f- for a period a sense of uh, smell and taste, and that's yep. that's a, a dead giveaway. Um, and then, of course, Grigor Dimitrov. We heard him talking about uh, the impacts of, of his infection, and that um, you know he he to this point is still fighting back from it. It looks like now he will probably play the US Open. Um, he made, I think it was the second round of Cincinnati, lost to Martin Fuksovic not, not long ago. Um, but nevertheless, he struggled with it. Um, so the fact that people within the sport are still oblivious clearly to um, this this thing and what it can do to people is just really, really disappointing. Yep, it is. And it's, it's extremely disappointing that we're still talking about this. It is real. Just shut up and leave your conspiracy theories at home or in your head because we don't want to hear them. There's been too much depression around mm. the world because of it. Let's just leave it. I don't want to hear any more of the conspiracy theories from anybody because it's just a joke. My Benoit. Now, this man has just won against Ricardus Barankis, uh, 7-6, 6-4. Novak Djokovic, you have, you're leading the Benoit at the moment. You get an extra point. You are a pillock, <laughs> a drip, a moron because... <laughs> He's not. Ta- he's come out during the week, and and I've got another one that I need to add to this because he's just done it. It's going to blow your mind, Joel. Um, he's so he's done an interview with Chris Clary from the New York Times, one of the best tennis journos or best journos in the world, um, during the week, and he was asked about the Adria tour, and he said he's essentially gone out in defense of his own actions again, and he said, uh. We tried to do something right with, or with the right intentions. Yes, there were some steps that could have been done differently, but if I had the chance to do the Adria Tour again, I would do it again. I don't think I've done anything bad, to be honest. I do feel sorry for the people that were infected, but do I feel guilty for anybody that was infected from that point onward in Serbia, Croatia, and the region? Of course not. It's like a witch hunt, and to be honest, how can you blame one individual for everything? 
He was the lead organizer, Joel. <laughs> Does the, what, yeah. All right, what's the saying? The captain must go down with the ship. I've done a piece for the tennis menu. And go log on tennismenu.com. They do an unbelievable job. Mark's the fullest Nick kissing. Get around them. But You absolutely whacked him, by the way. I have, and I have whacked him because he deserves it. Nobody's saying what, nobody's saying it. It is, it is ridiculous. And his cult following are going to try and protect him no matter what. But you know what? I'm here. I'm here. I'm going to take him down because this is not right. <laughs> take ownership of what you've done. It was nobody's above a global pandemic, Djokovic. Nobody. And you are the lead organizer. This Adria tour is a phenomenal idea, but it should have been done in December, maybe after the Davis Cup, after the ATP finals. Do it in a time when there isn't a global pandemic. Don't dance with your shirt off. Don't hug each other. Don't have full crowds in stadiums. Don't share microphones. And take the blame. What's the expression, Joel? The captain must go down with the ship. And I've used the, I've got the explanation here. The Titanic, Edward Smith, he went down with the ship. All shreds of nobility intact. He went down, not like a devastating, but he went down with the ship. Djokovic yep. has none of that nobility. He, You know the, who, what the nobility he's got? That of Francesco Schettino of the Costa Concordia, the ship that hit a rock <laughs> off, off Tuscany in 2012, killing 33. And I know it's harsh comparing him to someone that's, incarcerated for manslaughter but how many people have died of coronavirus this year how many so this is no joke it is absolutely no joke that novak isn't isn't taking any ownership of his actions here and i know that's harsh but you have to take ownership and it's just it's mind-boggling it's bemusing it's dumbfounding all of the above and he's just won with no crowd he's done that dumb celebration where he's tried to in love on everybody there's no one in the crowd why just go off no one wants to see it i hate it anyway oh i'm exhausted now joel should we wrap up <laughs> oh, yeah i think so I think <laughs> um yeah that's that's rant over I, I just had to i had to get that off my chest in i've done it in written form and now and now vocal form. But Joel Frucci, thank you very much for your part in the show. It's been an absolutely fantastic one. I've loved it again. And next week, we're going to be back doing the Grand Slams. Yeah, we are. How exciting is that? I cannot wait. Very, very excited. Joel Frucci, thank you very much. No worries, mate. And remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast, Facebook at Breakpoint Pod One. We're on all the socials. And you can subscribe on Wooshka, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts, we'll be there. Have a lovely week, tennis fans. I've been Val Ferbo. Enjoy Cincinnati slash New York. It's going to be an awesome week.